Uh, happy Sunday, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Face It. I am your host, Will Stringhorn. Thanks for joining me this evening. Uh, I first want to say thank you for making us number one last week. Um, again, for um, in the network, that show was an awesome show. It was the first of a series of three shows. So I want to thank you again for um, making us number one again last week. Um, also, I have, uh, I guess, a casting call for a couple shows that are coming up, and I really want your help. Um, first, we have a special holiday show. A couple um, weeks ago, I believe it was a little over a month ago, we did a panel um, discussion of hot topics with a couple friends of mine. Well, we're going to do that again. We're going to do it on the 21st of December, a special holiday um, show. So I'm looking for people who want to be on the cast. I'm looking for um, a lot of personality, a lot of people who have some experience they want to share. Um, we're going to do a hot topic. So we're going to do personal hot topics, what things um, you want to talk about. Um, so if you are interested, you can either go to the website, um, letsfaceitradio.com, or you can email me at info at com. Also, for a show in December, um, we're doing What Makes a Family. So I'm looking for people who either are products of, who are currently in or seeking uh, non-traditional family structures, um, whether you're through adoption, um, Blended families, same-sex families, same-sex um, partnerships who um, adopt children or who perhaps go through surrogate. Um, we're looking to hear your stories. Um, the show is actually for all of 2015. I've been talking to a couple people. The whole show is really changing. I know I spoke about that um, in October um, for November. Some things haven't gotten yet worked out, but we're for 2015, we're relaunching with a whole new platform. Very exciting. Stay tuned for some further information. Um, on that change. But today's show, let's talk about sex. We're talking about sex addiction. Um, 12 million people in the U.S. suffer from this very complex disorder that's basically receiving a lot of attention in the past years. Um, for sex addicts, the goal is sexual stimulation, and they crave it, just like alcoholics crave alcohol, like drug addicts you know, crave their next high. But where are the causes? What are the symptoms and what are the effects that this condition has on the whole life of the individual? Well, these questions and so many more will be answered um, when we have certified sex therapist and licensed professional counselor, Mr. Jeff Schultz um, from Phoenix, Arizona. He's going to be with us here in the studio after this break. So you're listening to Let's Face It on the Survival Radio Network. I am your host, Will Strayhorn, and we'll be right back. Planning for the ultimate vacation? Do you want the perfect wedding and honeymoon packages? How about a relaxing cruise or group travel destination? You need Phoenix One Travel. Phoenix One Travel is one of the leading providers of travel services and travel education in the world. Give us a call at 678-358-8588 or visit our website at www.phoenixone.com. 
phoenixonetravel.paycation.com. Let's plan your dream getaway today. It's 6.42 p.m. Time for Steve Plato and his son Dylan to do the dishes. They talk about everything from the yuckiness of girls to the awesomeness of his soccer team. Sometimes they don't talk at all. Then, hey, the dreaded <laughs> splash fight. It's dad o'clock, and it's the best time of the day. Because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Back to Let's Face It. I'm your host, Will Strayhorn. My guest this evening, Mr. Jeff Schultz. He's a licensed professional counselor and a certified sex addiction therapist from Phoenix, Arizona. Welcome to the show, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Hi. I'm doing, doing quite well, thanks. That's good. So, Jeff, tell us a little yeah. bit about your background and your practice there in Phoenix. Sure. Yeah, I, I've been practicing in this area, in the area of, uh, of sex addiction recovery now for uh, about eight years. Um, did some work and training with a guy named Patrick Carnes. Um, he's the first person to sort of see this problem as a compulsive behavior. And uh, trained with him for uh, about a year, then went to work for a place called the Meadows in Wickenburg, Arizona. Um, that's a treatment center that's pretty well known as uh, as a place for this particular problem. Uh, for people who are especially seeking some discretion, uh, want some privacy, and uh, of course that's most people, um, I guess, that would do this. And then uh, for about the past uh, almost six years now, I've been in private practice here in Phoenix, and um, again working with people who have this particular challenge and their spouses, and working with them also as couples. Okay. So before we really get into mm-hmm. the detail of sex addiction. Yeah. Who is the typical sex addict? What is it? Is, that, is it pretty much mm-hmm. somebody we really wouldn't know when we see them? Because I was reading during the, yeah. during the research I was looking and I saw that some people who, um, I think it was like 55% of those who commit molestation, they're sex addicts, but I'm sure that's not the whole um, compass mm-hmm. of what the sex addict looks like. Who, who is the typical person that well, you sure. Yeah, you know, the, the typical person with this challenge is, is really the uh, 
the guy maybe in his 20s or 30s or 40s even, um, often even later, uh, using pornography at home uh, late at night uh, when their spouse perhaps is asleep uh, in bed. Uh, somebody who has the anonymity now to view pornography especially and uh, and a time and a space and, you know, can do that without much interference or risk of discovery. Um, so typically it's that person, really not anyone. And that it's it's a matter of being compulsive and being out of control. So a pattern of behavior that, you know, that continues over time and that causes problems and, um, you know, and is, is to one degree or another out of control. So certainly someone who is, uh, you know, a pedophile or sexual offender um, can fit into that category, but that's um, that's a separate thing. There are you yeah. know, certainly people who are in that area of the world that are also not compulsive uh, and not addicted to sex. So, um, so that overlap is is not a not an easy one to make. Uh, I guess not valuable, I suppose. Uh, but the average person really is typically men, and uh, although many women are compulsive with sex. They're using sex in certain, some different ways, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, I put it that way. But unlike alcohol, you know, you're not likely to see uh, someone wear this on the sleeve. Uh, okay. They're not waking up too late. They're not missing work, um, typically. <laughs> so, so, yeah, pretty much the, the your typical person is a male. I was re- researching that um, almost twice as many male fantasize about mm-hmm. sex pretty much on a daily basis as opposed to women. So I, I imagine that with mm-hmm. sex addiction, there, there would be more men that have, mm-hmm. have this condition, correct? Yeah, although we're, we're beginning to think uh, perhaps that's not so true. There may be a, a you know a challenge in the, in the sense that there's so much shame, especially for women uh, who have a problem with this, uh, that much fewer of them are seeking treatment, uh, participating in surveys, um, and, you know, what we look for, if we're looking for the same particular behaviors, uh, mm-hmm. we're not going to find women, you know, quite often in those same places. Um, but, yeah, sure, women can be as out of control as men. It just looks slightly different. It's still a matter of using arousal, you know, as a, as a matter of fixing. But there is different variants to the condition pretty much. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah. It, it's you know unlike alcohol, which is always alcohol, or despite the form mm-hmm. it comes in, it's it's alcohol. Well, I guess you might say that this is very much like that. Arousal is the fix, or the the condition of, of feel good stuff in the brain when somebody gets uh, turned on, and the form it comes in, uh, it becomes that same thing, right? So regardless of the way in which somebody accesses uh, their experience of sex, it's still experienced in the brain as that you know powerful uh, feel good stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. So let's start with the, let's start with the basics then. What uh, is sex addiction? I'll ask you a two part question. What is sex addiction? And then um, I was seeing that a lot of people, a lot of experts, are debating whether it's really a real condition, or people are basically using it as an excuse. My question to you is number one: What is sex addiction? And then, in your opinion, is it a valid condition? Is it is it a real condition? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, we would define sex addiction. In, in ways similar to other compulsive behaviors or other addictions. Um, but the first question really is, is it a problem? Is the particular person having a problem, and is it about sex? Uh, there are plenty, plenty of people with very high libidos that um, are not having a problem. Um, they're not living in secrets or in, you know, in shadows of behavior, uh, but there are plenty of people who are and who are impacting their marriages or the relationships, um, who are doing things or seeing things that are, you know, 
not disrupting in their lives in some way. So when that's true, we, we look at the behavior. What is it that this person's doing? Uh, with what kind of frequency, um, to what degree, and, and what are the problems it's causing? And do we see a pattern? Um, has it been true? Has it been uh, different today than it perhaps was years ago? In other words, it's no longer Playboy magazine, but maybe today it's um, some hardcore variety mm. of pornography on the Internet. Um, so, you know, that sort of escalating um, intensity, uh, if you will, about the material that's viewed or the, the behavior that's engaged. So that's a big factor. Um, and in a way, that's a little like tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, the alcoholic who, you know, will drink more and more over time in order to get the same reward, um, this is similar to that. It takes more intensity. Um, it takes, a, if it's pornography, a higher and more um, intensive category of, of content, let's say. Um, always about novelty, always something new, and never really quite enough. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, if you think of it all in terms of like that, it's it's easy to see how it how it looks quite a bit like addiction, um, mm-hmm. you know, of any behavior, and it functions in a lot of the same ways. Um, the reason for addiction, the purpose of it is, it feels good. It's the effect is is liked by the person who uses, um, let's say, alcohol. They like the effect produced by alcohol, and everybody likes sex. Uh, a lot of people like alcohol, but if it's um, used to such a great degree that it's causing problems in life, then, um, you know, then, then, then something has to change. Uh, and that's when I see people show up in my office. Um, there's been discovery, you know, there's been some, maybe some porn history found on the internet, or maybe there's been some pictures or something found on the cell phone, uh, or maybe some arrest uh, for prostitution or, you know, soliciting a prostitute or any number of different things. And now the, the family is in crisis, and they don't know what to do. They're not sure where you know to turn or, or how how to do this, how to see this. Is is, is um, uh, are we if we're looking at the pattern? Are we making excuses for it, um, like you said, mm-hmm. by you know by calling it a, a sex addiction? And that's a that's a fair question, and, and it's it's perhaps used that way by some. Um, I think. Maybe, maybe by many. When when you get into it with um, you know a finer lens, I think you you see how this person has become pretty out of control with something that used to serve them. Um, okay. When I say yeah, I mean when I say serve them, I mean uh, used to used to be um, calm them down before they go to sleep at night. Um, you know, or create stimulation uh, in their lives. They feel alive when they go out and they they uh, find an anonymous partner at a bar. For example. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, so it's, you know, it's, that, it's that it's that point where when it's pretty much out of control when you have some type of a secretive behavior going on. That's pretty much that mm-hmm. fine line line from just having a sex a high sex drive and then it actually becoming mm-hmm. a, a issue when you cross over into sex addiction. That's what I'm understanding you to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's a big piece. Uh, you know, it's pretty clearly outside of somebody's values. Uh, a behavior or, or way of, you know, being sexually, if uh, if they're getting secrets about it, you know, mm. there's no need to keep keep a secret about something that is not a problem or that you don't view as, you know, abnormal or or, or strange or anything of that sort. Uh, but you know, if you believe that that this wouldn't be okay, let's say with a spouse or a partner, um, yeah, you, you you might keep it a secret. Uh, now you could also keep a secret uh, in order to protect it in order to not have to stop. 
um, and perhaps the behavior is well within your values. But you know, the secret, yeah, that's that's the signature of um, of somebody not doing well. Okay. Potentially, and that's there, there's a lot of stuff that comes together, and then we go, all right, well, this looks, you know, walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, and whatever we want to call it, um, right. this guy needs some help, or, or this couple needs help. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to grasp because, uh-huh. as I was saying, the research pretty much says that men pretty much think about sex a couple times a day, and I'm a guy, and I'll be honest, I think about <laughs> it quite frequently. Um, uh-huh. I'm just trying to grasp, yeah. make sure that, you know, my thinking about it a lot doesn't make me a possible sex addict. I'm trying to figure out what, what really, really divides you other than um, – so all mm-hmm. sex addicts don't basically um, indulge in – I read it was a meeting with prostitutes, um, pornography addiction, things like that. So what what are some signs? What are some signs that I could tell or any other person could tell whether or not, you know, I may have a problem that the, the you know, mm-hmm. sex addiction may be an issue, aside from, like you were saying, just being secretive. Because I think really with pornography, yeah. I mean, that most people would be secretive about that. What are some yeah, other things? Yeah. Right, right. Well, you know, uh, if I'm if I'm doing this more often than I used to, uh, or if I'm okay. if I'm spending more time than I intended, you know, I, my intention was to go out and have a couple drinks and uh, you know visit with some friends, and uh, I ended up going to the strip club afterwards. Uh, uh, okay. They all went home, and and that's where I went. Well, I did that once. Um, I'd say, well, that's not a problem necessarily. Um, I'm a guy who thinks about sex, and that's pretty normal, let's say, on on some basis. But um, there's more now that troubles me. I don't feel so alike, um, let's say, any longer. You know, there's just something that, in some way, is troubling, and and more often than not, people point to something else first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm drinking too much. I need to stop. Otherwise, I wouldn't go to strip clubs. It, that might be true. Uh, so when they mm-hmm. stop drinking, what you know, what perhaps happens? Well, you know, there's uh, there's so many different you know varieties of ways that people show up with this stuff that um, it's you know it's a real personal kind of understanding about it. I get people in 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 a lot of shame uh, when they come to me. They've got secrets and. Um, and nobody really knows that about them. Uh, they're the model couple, you know. Or they're uh, somebody who are who is quite successful, accomplished in business, um, in the community, and they've you know also had this habit of um, hooking up with anonymous strangers via Craigslist. And maybe you know maybe they haven't actually gone to see it, or maybe no one's actually been with them. Or they've never been with someone else uh, other than their partner, but they go shopping you know, so to speak. They're just um, titillated by the idea that I could hook up with that person mm-hmm. if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's, it's, um, it's more than I, I have occasional fantasy or even somewhat frequent fantasy of, of you know, of whatever it is that turns me on. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that by itself, not a problem, but the person who has this challenge has kind of, kind of burnt, burnt that level of, um, of relationship to sex out <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? One thing, uh-huh. one thing I really um, found fascinating with your studies is that you really think that the brain plays a big part in sex addiction. I'd like for you to mm-hmm. share. I, I found that very interesting. Share a little bit. Well, share mm-hmm. as much information about that as you like, because I found that really fascinating that the brain um, yeah. plays a part in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Right. Well, it is fascinating. It, you know, this is a primary drive, and to the brain, sex is survival, uh, much like food is survival. Um, so it functions mm. in, a, in a place, in an area of the brain that, uh, that really takes priority. Um, it, it is survival in the sense that our DNA doesn't continue or, or ceases to exist beyond us. Um, if we stop having sex, if we're not sexual and don't have conception and, and, and babies, uh, babies who grow successfully to adulthood. And so our brains have evolved to reward us for having sex. That's why orgasm feels uh, so good, so our arousal feels so good, so we're guided to um, seek out sexual opportunity. And in addition to that, um, sex with multiple partners is uh, even further rewarded. Um, the reason for that is that if we've got multiple partners and multiple um, babies, then the likelihood of that baby you know, growing into adulthood successfully and then having uh, their own children is, is that much greater. So nature gives us an even bigger hit uh, in the form of dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter in the brain that is what feels good about sex. Uh, it's also what feels good about any other mood-altering experience uh, or chocolate. Uh, or <laughs> any any uh, time spent with friends and good conversation. It's just that the volume of dopamine is, is uh, of a higher order uh, with certain behaviors, certain drugs, uh, and especially with sex. So we get that, that dose of dopamine that is higher with multiple partners or, uh, or say, instead of multiple real partners, uh, what, what is to the brain a real partner? Uh, doesn't have to be an actual person present with you then. Uh, it's the potential partner. So, for example, with pornography, uh, what a person or what a brain, you know, in a few, really in a few seconds, a minute, um, it doesn't have to take very long. The brain sees, you know, 10 times, 100 times what the caveman brain would see in terms of sexual opportunity. Um, so the novelties on the ending, the number of sexual opportunities that the brain can experience is immense in uh, in just a few minutes on the Internet. This mm-hmm. is why we think sex addiction has really taken off um, as a problem in our culture because of the uh, the access of the Internet. Yeah. And what happens is, you know, each of those images that a person sees <clears throat> excuse me, uh, is, is another hit, is another greater hit, uh, is a new novel experience. So the brain's becoming uh, swamped in dopamine. And it's such an overwhelming experience to the brain. The brain really can't tolerate that kind of imbalance. It's not used to being so overwhelmed with all that feel-good stuff. And so it begins to change. Uh, And the way that it changes, it's similar, let's say, to if if I'm yelling at you, you might cover your ears. And if you covered your ears, you would do that because it's, it's overwhelming. It's too loud. It's too much. It's unbearable. You cover your ears. And you're, in a certain way, protected from that volume of sound. And the brain right. does something a little bit like that. It, it changes in a way that it no longer uses dopamine in an efficient way. So to feel the same kind of pleasure a person used to feel, uh, let's say, at home alone with their partner, uh, someone that they, they've been with for many years, um, that level of intensity of, of sexual arousal is now uh, not enough. Um, mm. it's now, now we're, what I'm describing is someone who's a pretty frequent and regular user of pornography for a long length of time, perhaps. And so, you know, not the typical experience, but it happens often enough. 
uh, that person's so awash, their brain's so awash in, in dopamine that they're not really all that sensitive now to um, more uh, of what used to be pleasant and pleasurable and just uh, great. It now takes the intensity. And so the, uh, the internet offers it up. It, it offers now instead of um, this, let's say, content of pornography that was a turn-on, now there's another level of content that may be necessary, another uh, fetish level, let's say. Uh-huh. And that's sort of what escalation looks like with this, um, at least especially with the pornography. Or it may transition some other behavior. You know, it might lead out of the bedroom now and, or out of uh, wherever that person is using pornography and uh, and into some other behavior. So that the brain now needs it to kind of take us back to the brain. It's... um. In order to feel good, it's not enough to just hang out and spend time together and watch a nice movie. Um, it, it, that's enough, but it, well, you kind of feel a little bit of blah. Not depressed exactly, not awful. I can't, you know, down and out, but I'm not feeling very happy. And mm-hmm. where this person feels good is with sex, and especially uh, of a certain intensity level. And if you, so, know, so if you think about it, yeah, go ahead. So, again, to confirm a relationship, basically, mm-hmm. um, a person who is going through these types of feelings basically wouldn't be not necessarily attractive, but they'd be, they wouldn't be that reactive to what was um, satisfactory within a relationship sexually and could develop perhaps mm-hmm. um, non-arousal pretty much, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that what, what – what's arousing and, and fantastic about a, a marriage or a partnership and, uh, you know, this other person is so important to you uh, is intimacy, is connection. Uh, and sex that's shared between two people where that's the important thing uh, is fantastic and could be quite frequent um, and could even include on some occasions pornography. Um, you know, so it's not anti-porn so much as it's, uh, it's intimacy disabling or it's just kills intimacy when, a person chooses pornography, for example, over the real thing. They've chosen fantasy. You know, they've chosen something that's easy, and that gives them quite a hit. And since it is fantasy, in a in a great sense, it's it's perfect. Um, you won't make a fantasy that's not perfect to you. So uh, that real person can't ever compete with the fantasy that you oh. might make up in your head. Exactly. So now you've got. Yeah, you're really kind of more hooked on that uh, and interested in that uh, than you are with what was more based on presence, uh, honesty, vulnerability. Um, You know, the two things can't go together so much. So I I sort of accept intensity, let's say, maybe sexually at home um, Uh and in place of what might have been an intimate connection. So now I've got to maybe pornography the sex in the relationship. Um, there's a way of putting that. You know, I've got to add intensity there if I'm going to remain interested and remain, um, you know, aroused. And then other guys, uh, because uh, that intimacy becomes in some way kind of threatening, it's just unfamiliar. Um, this has a lot to do with some other factors, I'd say, from how they grew up perhaps. But um, those folks will will end up in a sexless marriage. Uh, they may end up, as a consequence of the pornography, with you know, erectile dysfunction problems and so on. Yeah. And yeah. aside from that, you were saying that um, 
sometimes sex addicts see this as a quick fix. Um, I was reading that sometimes mm-hmm. they just become numb. What does that mean by them taking mm-hmm. on as a quick fix? Well, yeah, you know, I, I I like to back up a little bit with with trying to explain that to say it, it was necessary for most of these people uh, to have some way of feeling better uh, when mm-hmm. they were kids. And, you know, in other words, that, that there was probably not uh, someone there that they could lean into or would lean into for their comfort, uh, for their sort of pick-me-up, for their feel-good. Uh, they just didn't look to that other person for that. Or if they did, they didn't have that available often enough or there was some interruption of that. So and the, the consequence is that just a kid who may be uh, more emotionally alone, uh, who's going to have to find how he feels good or she feels good, um, mm. in their own way, you know, so they play uh, games uh, by themselves, perhaps, you know, maybe um, a fantasy games, that's even a little, um, and they, they find comfort in that fantasy, but it's not very rich play. It would be far more rich if that person, that child had in their lives, the parent who um, who could pick them up, scoop them up, hold them, rock them, love them, you know, give them kisses, and just could do that consistently enough. Um, and of course, you know, with, let's say with six or seven kids in the house, that's going to be hard to do, or with financial, you know, challenges and problems, and uh, and especially if we've got instead other addictions already in the home, um, you know, things get less and less ideal uh, with abuse and so on. Um, you know, you're definitely going to be uh, looking at kids who have themselves to rely on for their own comfort, and so by the time sex uh, shows up, which arousal itself, you know, far before um, arousal to the point of orgasm uh, or first masturbation, let's say, far before that is just simple um, arousal. You know, the, the child is having their first sexual developmental uh, stages or, or phases, let's say, between about 8 and 12. And so uh, this is something that's welcome, you know, to this kid who's trying to figure out how to just feel better um, or how to stimulate himself. And so, no, well, by the time that child gets to the point of that first discovery of, uh, of orgasm, let's say, uh, they have a, a very fond new friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, and it's it's different. I mean, every kid has that first experience, all kids who do, it's um, it's fantastic, right? It, nothing uh, could be wrong with that, and it's a part of normal sex development that very often that means um, even frequent, you know, use of masturbation. Uh, but to some kids who have sort of this scenario I've described, um, this may be really important. You know, it's their first mood-altering experience, and it may be a time of going, uh, you know, wow, <laughs> I can have this yeah. anytime I want. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm never running out. Um, you know, with sex, you don't have to try and buy alcohol or steal it from your dad. Um, right, you right. Know, any, it's right anything there. Anything like that. Yeah. It's right there, yeah. All you got to do is have a thought, and, it, and it's yours. So... So that becomes an important thing. So when I say um, fix, what I mean is there's an experience in life of stress. Um, mm-hmm. And for the kid who's more emotionally uh, neglected, we could say, who's sort of more on his own, like I've described, um, that's a, a daily thing is to just experience a kind of stressful, um, you know, how will I get those basic needs that I have met? And I mean emotional needs. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, they find that, they learn to masturbate maybe before they go to bed or first thing in the morning or as a sort of uh, ritual, you know, nothing that, that anyone needs to know about. But 
what it you know goes in certain directions sort of from there uh, but it begins this sort of uh, frankly a, a brain wiring um, to look for a solution in arousal for a problem of stress right and that's how it's so yeah yeah and, and you know the brain has this wonderful capacity to not not need to solve problems again and again um, you know we remember well, that worked out just fine last time. Uh, let's go there again. <laughs> you know, so a kid who's feeling depressed or alone or, or just down um, finds a pick me up, um, you know, in pornography all of a sudden. Yeah. And so yeah. when you're talking about kids, you're talking preteen, and it's carrying well, pretty I, much I, all the way. Yeah, I am. Uh, I mean, it, it it may be the case that there was earlier, you know, early exposure of that kind. Um, uh-huh. You know, a kid finds his dad's porn um, or in some ways around some sexualizing experience or discovers something or, you know, a friend shows him something. And it used to be that before the Internet, that was magazines. All right. Um, All right. And, you know, and you know, like we were talking before, the volume of content or the number of images and the number of pictures in a magazine is quite limited when you compare it to the Internet. And so, you know, a teenage kid has somehow found a Playboy magazine, got it into his house, uh, would lose his interest on a level um, after seeing that content for, you know, for whatever period of time. Uh, but today, kids are seeing Internet pornography as their first exposure to porn. And mm-hmm. uh, they're growing up with a kind of intensity access that's just unbelievable with the, the volume of novelty, just how much is there. Uh, for them to see. So, yeah. And it happens if you think about adolescence, um, what a wonderful time for everyone, right? <laughs> right, right, um, exactly. Yeah. This is this is when, you know, nature gives us this great experience of, uh, at least our bodies, the potential experience of orgasm. Um, mm-hmm. And, boy, the little brain that's just growing so fast and so screwed up in so many ways uh, at that adolescent stage of development uh, overwhelmed by by what this is, you know, it, it's an, it's a fantastic timing uh, to have such a powerful mood altering experience. Uh-huh. You know, so the brain is if a kid um, has that need and that interest and that frequent relationship with that same masturbation with or without pornography, um, they they're likely to have a ritual or a pattern, just a you know. Perhaps daily, probably daily, but not necessarily. Um, but a play, a reason to go there, and, and a plan to go there, and um, a, just a ritual, and that continues perhaps for a long, long time. Um, and now they're oriented toward fantasy stimulation, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to toward a, toward a real person. So, is the um, excessive masturbation and the pornography are these um, ways that you say are acting out? Are these what are considered acting out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We consider acting out, you know, those behaviors that for this particular person um, are, are just unacceptable to them. Um, okay. So in other words, they've created such, uh, they've, they've found themselves at a place where sex is such a problem now uh, in, the, in maybe a couple of particular behaviors that might include pornography um, mm-hmm. that they can't risk, you know, let's say masturbation, even the fantasy. Um, if you, you know, kind of make it similar in terms of alcohol, maybe Jack Daniels was your drink, but now light beer, uh, you give yourself the option for, 
Um, well, that's that's not a good thing because like beer you could load up on two, and pretty soon you're drinking drinking your favorite again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, for a sex addict, it's a little bit different because you know you're not gonna you're not gonna die if you don't have sex, but you you sure want it. Um, yeah, nothing, you're, you're crazy. You know, there's nothing wrong with sex. That's not the idea. Um, the idea is that my relationship to it has become so much about fiction. Um, about using sex as a way to feel better, mm-hmm. um, or you know, or a way to to stimulate myself. So, I can't afford the luxury of behaviors that are like that. Um, sex has got to become instead a, a shame, a, a without shame experience, an experience that is um, that is connecting and with a partner that um, is present, uh, and that I can be present with, and that I you know don't have secrets from where I can risk being vulnerable and feeling feelings and not use it as a as a way of somehow kind of artificially controlling how I feel. Oh, yeah. Right. And that that's a that's a tough transition, but um yeah. So I kinda of lost track a little bit of where we were there, but um yeah. Fascinating stuff though. So and all so all addicts do have a pattern of acting out, pretty much. That's right, acting okay. out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they sure do. I mean, it, there's there's different behaviors, and it depends a lot on what what you're exposed to uh, as a kid. Let's say you had the exposure to pornography and access to that and all that. Well, very likely it'll be a part of your story that pornography is there. Um, but let's say instead that you found, um, you know, you saw somebody changing, um, and it was your older sister or it was your older sister's girlfriend, or um, and there was real arousal with that, and maybe there was opportunity for that again. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you have, you know, you know have a bit of a setup. Yeah, well, it catches your attention, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or a neighbor who dresses in front of a window or something like that. Right, <laughs> right, right. Give you a kind of a stereotypical example. Um, that is a very powerful draw uh, for an adolescent kid, you know, who's just sort of discovering his own sexuality and naturally uh, is interested in, you know, in seeing that. Um so without somebody there with him or her to help them, uh, to just teach them about their own sexuality and what's acceptable and what's what's really not, what's a good use for this and what's not, uh, a kid without sexual information and, and guidance uh, probably will return to that and probably begins a pattern that, you know, that may be hugely shameful in, internally for them, um, but that they continue to return to. And it, right. it may be that, that that's a person who later has, uh, you know, voyeuring pattern in their acting out. Or, you know, pornography is a voyeuring behavior. It's looking at right, pictures right. of people that you know, didn't give you that permission. Mm-hmm. So, well, Jeff, this is, Jeff I, want you yeah, to just hold, I want you to just hold tight. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Uh-huh. When we come back, we're going to finish talking about this. I have some um, more questions about, you know, what can be done about it? I know that you also um, know some about the recovery process. So we're going to take a quick break. Hang tight. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Let's Face It on the Survival Radio Network. I'm your host, Will Strayhorn. We'll be right back. Okay. College is important, but it can also be expensive. 
College Planning Services is a group of educators, administrators, counselors, and other licensed professionals that work together to provide the necessary services, networks, and information to reach students that are serious about getting a college education. College Planning Services partners with financial institutions, corporate sponsors, and other major players in the global market to strategize in building a pool of information regarding financial aid, scholarships, and funding information to assist students in preparing to access the essential resources to build upon their path to an educational future. Learn more at collegeplanningtoday.com and let us help you start your college career. F-O-C-U-S. Find opportunities, create unique success. Focus is an empower agency that provides motivational tools needed to aid our youth and young adults in the metro Atlanta area. Allow Focus to provide your kids with additional help in developing self-awareness, leadership, communication, and empowerment skills. For more information on how to get started today, go to www.focusfruits.com. Focus. Life coaching for youth and young adults. Tired of applying for jobs only to get turned down because of the economy or lack of a degree? What if you can qualify to work for those same worrying about a degree and work them from the comfort of your home? With JP Employment Services, LLC, enjoy the benefits of making your own hours, enjoy more free time, and earn a great salary. For details, call 678 678- Eight three five seven three seven one. That's six seven eight eight three five seven three seven one. Or go to www.jpemployment.com. Must be able to pass a background check and certification. Call JP Employment today. More and more people are making their purchases online, and their number one resource is ShopSquare.com. At ShopSquare.com, they're committed to excellence and top-notch customer service. ShopSquare.com is empowering customers just like you by providing them with the best details online, anytime. If you're looking for electronics, home decor, home appliances, sporting equipment, college wear, or fashion, ShopSquare.com is where you'll want to be. Go to www.ShopSquare.com or give us a call at 877 659 0807. That's 877-659-0807. Welcome back to Let's Face It. I'm your host, Will Strayhorn. We're speaking with Mr. Jeff Schultz. He's a licensed professional counselor and certified sex addiction therapist from Phoenix, Arizona. Um, Jeff, before we left for break, you were talking about acting out. Have you finished your thoughts on that? I know I'm trying to cut you off a little bit. Yeah, no, that's okay. I mean, acting out is, um, is yeah, that's the stuff that's outside of the, the realm of uh, of okay. <laughs> uh-huh. and, uh, yeah, I, I was kind of beginning to speak into sort of uh, some of the behaviors that a person can end up uh, in, and which right. we call, you know, each of them acting out because um, mm-hmm. there's just so many different ways that a person can become uh, attached to sex, you know. Um, and it, it's it's important to understand how each works. And frankly, you can map, uh, you know, a particular behavioral uh, inclination to someone's experience, where they came from, what they're really exposed to. And, um, it It's logical, you know, despite 
how uh, shaming some particular behavior might feel to a person. Uh, there is a reason that they became attached to that and found that, and um, and there's a logic to that. And sometimes just finding out what that is and how that is, how it works, is really helpful because they feel a lot less shame about, you know, why is it that I'm into this? Um, but they are, and they can't be, you know, they struggle with it. They become kind of stuck in something that, you know, really is upsetting um, in some way to them. Right. So, yeah, that's that's a perfect segue into my next question. So, with that, is Uh there a treatment for this? Mm -hmm. What kind? What what kind? What's the goal of it? Yeah, well, the goal is to to no longer use sex as a way to uh, to control how how you feel, right? As a, but really, the goal is beyond that. If we think of sex and arousal and and using sex as as an addiction, as a fix. it, it's a solution, uh, albeit a poor one, to a, a deeper problem, um, a problem of not being well-equipped to cope with life on life's terms. Uh, so in other words, uh, having core issues that um, come up again and again that feel in some way overwhelming uh, or like they require a solution that's simple. Um, or, or, for example, uh, a sense of some hopelessness or helplessness without uh, mm. that particular particular thing. So the core issues are, are much deeper level things uh, that wouldn't surprise you uh, to, to know, but they, they're sort of the longer-term effect or longer-term treatment of this problem because unless some of what those things look like or some of what they are, unless there's treatment and care given there, um, then typically the problem will bubble back up. Um, but the treatment itself is not as complex as people might imagine. It's uh, more than anything, well, it's about building meaning, about building uh, a spiritual connection uh, into their lives, about not, you know, taking the role of of being God, in a sense. Um, I, I, I control how I feel. I control how I behave. I believe, anyway. I do this and I do that. And, um, and life is basically a selfish and self-seeking, you know, kind of enterprise, the person who's uh, addicted to any substance or, or behavior. And to sort of step back from that and accept that uh, that, that they're out of control and that they're, um, you know, similar to how the 12 steps, uh, the first step of the 12 steps is that they're powerless and that their lives are unmanageable. Um, and when addicts can see that what they're doing is not working and what they're doing to try and stop what they're doing is, uh, is not working either and that they continue to come to the same place again and again, then something really different uh, needs to happen. And so the pain will push most people pretty far. Uh, the pain and the shame of, let's say, discovery uh, in a marriage or a relationship, um, they are in terrible shame and terrible pain about what they've done. They can see the harm it's caused. Their spouse is terribly traumatized by perhaps what they've found. And that, that will move them pretty far, and they'll do all kinds of uh, important work to stop and stay stopped, um, but it's at some point that that they need something to move toward. Uh, they need mm-hmm. to really be invested in, you know, I want some of this. I want more of that. Um, not right. sex any longer, but this very healthy relationship. Uh, I want this time together. I want being close, and I like how it feels where I am. And and so that's meaning. That's meaningful. So uh, So a spiritual path or a meaningful path 
um, there's got to be something to reach for and move towards. So that's sort of the first um, first thing that we try to help you know guys to do is to develop that. Uh, and the way we get there is through typically through twelve step meetings. Um, Sex Addicts Anonymous or Sexaholics Anonymous uh, is a is a community uh, of people who have this particular problem in its various shapes and forms, um, but people who have a solution. Uh, who have been where this this new guy maybe is and have uh, moved far past that, no longer do those same things, live a very different life. And, you know, to the new guy who walks in that door, um, he hears his own story and he thinks, my gosh, I want what that guy has. Um, So, you know, we want them to have that experience and begin to connect uh, with people who are healthy, you know, to, to come out of the room and out of the secrets um, and out of that place where they're very much alone and lonely um, in this behavior they've become out of control with, you know, come out of, of that place um, and find connection, uh, whether it be in a relationship or not. It, it may just simply be with other uh, recovering men um, and right. women. Um, there are women's meetings in these programs too. Um, so that that's a big piece of it. Um, there's a guy named Patrick Carnes, uh, Dr. Patrick Carnes, who wrote... Uh, a book called Out of the Shadows back in 1984, I think. Long ago, he's sort of the first to coin the term sex addiction. And he did a study of, I I believe, about 800 um, sex addicts who had been in long-term recovery of five years or more. Um, I don't know how he found 800. I I know he worked at the Meadows for (laughs) a bit of time. And, you know, these are primarily inpatient uh, sample, but 800 people who had been sexually sober for eight uh, 800 years, five years or longer, and he asked them what were the most important things in uh, in their recovery that helped them be successful. And the number one was what they call higher power, um, or God, or, or something, and as they understand him, um, or <laughs> uh, two, three, and four were uh, the steps, the meetings, and a sponsor. Uh, the meetings are, like I said, SAA or SA, um, Sexaholics Anonymous, Sex Addicts Anonymous. And the 12 steps are the same, uh, just adapted from Alcoholics Anonymous, which mm-hmm. really is, uh, that's a spiritual path. It's what that is. It's a path toward a spiritual experience. So, uh, and then with that, a sponsor, uh, kind of been there before, who's done those steps, um, who knows this process, and just in a way like a trail guide might, might hold your hand and walk a trail, the sponsor does the same. So that, together with uh, individual counseling and group counseling, uh, those were about the top five or six in that list. And so in my work, I, you know, I figured I don't need to rebuild the wheel. Um, I've been doing that particular you know, set of things with people for a good bit of time now, and it works. Uh, the process is, is what people put faith in, that, at least initially, that this will um, move me from where I was to a place where I want to be. Mm-hmm. And w- when they do that, when they do that with, you know, real energy, I mean, if they can go to a meeting a day, that's fantastic. Um, it, and most people probably can't pull that off, but if they can, that's a regular relationship with a recovery experience or with recovering people um, that is really Daily? rich. Uh, for for those that can, yeah. Uh, you know, wow. they're using porn every day. Um, you know, alcoholics were drinking every day. They need day. to replace that with something. <laughs> right. Well, they need to learn new skills for, for living, really, because as soon as you take the drug away that was solving the problem, uh, however poorly, of stress 
pain, fear, uh, anxiety. Um, take that out, though, and and now instead replace it with a relationship that's very broken and very traumatized and quite in chaos. Um, they're drawn back to the old solution. And so um, they're in feelings. They're in all kinds of feelings that they've maybe lived a long time in life trying to not feel. Yeah. And it's overwhelming. I mean, boy, you know, to be around other people and come into rooms like that and be able to say, you know, I, I've caused so much hell in my in my house and in my family, um, and I feel so terribly about it, and I don't know what to do. Um, you know, and, and to have a place to to make phone calls or people to make phone calls too. Um, the guys that I work with, I I recommend and, and encourage them to make maybe a couple to three phone calls a day to people in the recovery program. And so by that behavior, you know, perhaps in a moment of of real crisis, they will pick up the phone and actually call someone when they really need it. Uh, Because more likely, if they don't have the habit in place, they probably won't. Uh It's not in their nature to do that, you know, to ask another person for help because there's never been anything in it for them um, to ask another person for help, or at least they believe that. And probably provides that sense of accountability as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the most obvious first thing for a person who uses pornography is to put a filter on the computer and to right. to just either block or limit access uh, to any internet, you know, internet content. And then there's also accountability uh, products as well that will send uh-huh. an email that you know of all the, a log really of everywhere that that computer has been. Uh, hmm. to whoever they set as an accountability partner. Right. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, it ends up being the spouse that plays that role, and they they already know the, you know, uh, where things are there. They sure don't want to have um, a relapse, a uh, return to old behavior, and have that go directly to their wives or partners to see. Wow. So and there's some great software out there, um, you know, that'll do it. And it won't stop them, you know, in the end. And, you know, it's important to just... Anybody can go down the street and pick up a magazine if if they're inclined, or go to a strip club or whatever. But it takes right. more time. It at least slows them down, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what we're after. I mean, takes away the convenience of it. So, po- post recovery, mm-hmm. how can that person begin to go ahead and um, either number one uh, repair their marriage or relationship, or just go in and develop healthy sexual relationships? How can that person, you know, post recovery, mm-hmm. go into doing that? Yeah. Well, they're going to break sort of this psychological relationship they've had to arousal as a, as a, you know, as a fix to a problem, and instead begin to experience it as, as, a, as an arousal shared with a partner who is experienced as safe, um, a person that they can be all of who they are, and and not really, not risk too much, not feel like you know this is too, uh, too scary. Um, mm-hmm. They become. You know, it, it's it's really a shift away from something that was so unhealthy and into something that maybe they've been in before but haven't been connected with in so long. Um, so it takes risk, really. It, they, it, it, it's a couple healing um, is what I'm describing. And two people um, who have been through so much and a real traumatic experience leaves a mark and the trust is broken and really in some ways can't return. Um mm-hmm. However, they're going to use that as a way to return to the love they've maybe once shared or used to have. Um, they will it broke them in a sense, but it's 
it's a chance for them to rebuild connection. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there are no more secrets. Um, that's a, a decision that a recovering sex addict makes. Because I'm not gonna, and I've got an obligation to you to tell you anything, uh, and answer any questions, and be fully transparent. And in doing that, um, that builds rebuilds trust over time with the partner who's been, um, you know, been hurt this way. And so, a a check-in kind of relationship, a closeness. Um, a relationship that's based on I'm with you, I'm here now, I'm I'm looking in your eyes, I'm not afraid, um, I'm staying, I'm not going anywhere, and that returned. You know, and okay. yeah, there's a psycho there's a biological response that happens there, and that's a long story. Yeah, the, the, the two people are healing go together. It's a great turn on. Yeah, uh, they'll find all the intensity they ever wanted just in each other, and a novelty question of you know, what about what's not new anymore? Well, it's new every time when you show up, when you're present, you know, and real. Hmm. Well, Jeff, you have yeah. really given us a lot of information. We are out of time, but um, I thank you so much for being on the show. Um, your information is going to be listed on our website. If you have any questions for Jeff, please visit the website, com. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, and I invite you to come back again in the future. Yeah, you bet. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Well, folks, that is our show for this evening. A lot of information. Um, Next week, passion, purpose, and potential. Have you ever craved to live your God-intended, authentic, and purpose-filled life? Um, Do you desire health, happiness, prosperity, and love in your life? And also, do you desire to live that best life that you can basically live to the full? that thing that Oprah's always talking about. Well, next week, my guests are Carol Whitaker. She's the author of Ridiculously Happy. She's a life success coach and a transformation expert. Also, Timothy Sahura is the founder of Red Pill Lifestyle Management and Consulting in Georgia. They will be here to share valuable information on living life with passion, purpose, and potential. I want to once again thank my guests, Mr. Jeff Schultz, I am your host, Will Strayhorn. Let's face it, in life, you're going to be faced with many choices, but the most important choice that you will ever make, believe me, is when you choose to be bold, be beautiful, make the choice to be you. Till next time. Thank you for listening to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and friends on the Survival Radio Network. Please be sure to visit us on the web often at letsfaceitradio.com for the latest in show information, including upcoming shows, special guests, spotlight interviews, as well as exciting, innovative ways that you can be part of the show. So tune in next week for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it.